Well, hey, Soma Midtown, this is Pastor Brandon. I'm back here with Hannah Anderson. And today we are going to continue our series on vocation, wholeheartedness and vocation. And we are talking about being called to a body, which is kind of a weird thing, right? We don't typically associate that with, um, with our, uh, with our voca- as a vocation, as a calling. Um, but Hannah, I know you, as you uh, have thought about this, have uh, kind of an interesting, uh, we'll call it a fixation with, um, with something related to your own body. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I think in many ways, my kind of growth in this area of understanding my body as part of my vocation, it probably mirrors a lot of people. So when I was younger and in the, the churches I grew up in, I didn't really think a lot about my body as part of what God was calling me to, other than at some point I would die and I would go to heaven and I would get some kind of new body that I didn't know what it was like, except I think we were all hoping we could walk through doors like Jesus did after he was resurrected. But as I've kind of um, grown and thought about this a lot more, I've really become, I don't know, fixated, maybe obsessed is the right word with um, what's going to happen to my body when I die before the resurrection comes. So like, I'm really, really concerned with where I'm going to be buried. And and some of this probably is cultural because where we live, um, there's a lot of family cemeteries and in a family cemetery. And I don't know if you have these in Indiana, but basically they're on a land, on a family land. Like if you had a big farm or acreage um, that generations had come from, you'll usually find a family plot. And it's just a small graveyard that maybe has, oh, I don't know, 75 to 100 um, graves in it. And if you have some association with the family, you can be buried there. Like we have public cemeteries, but we have all of these tiny cemeteries everywhere. And you'll stumble across them you know, in the middle of the woods or along the roadside, just over the years, they've been maintained, but the land around it maybe has been split up. So it is now my goal. And and I will say this, my family knows this. My goal now is to be able to buy a piece of property at some point that has a family cemetery on it, because it's very important to me to know where my body is going to lie waiting for the resurrection. And I know it's ridiculous, but you know how some people have a birth plan, like how they want their child Mm -hmm. to come into the world, Mm -hmm. all the things that are going to happen, the music they're going to listen to you, how they're going to go through transition and bring this life into the world. Well, I have the opposite. I have like a funeral plan of how I'm going to exit the world. And part of that is where I'm going to be buried. And it really disturbs me that I'm not quite sure I know where that's going to be um, yet. And so it's become kind of a goal to figure this out. And a lot of it does have to do with the change in the way I think about my body. Mm. You're just, you're going back to the early, um, to back to early Christianity. I, I was actually reading um, this week. I've been reading this great book by John Dixon called Bullies and Saints. And it's kind of looking at the the history of the good, bad, and the ugly in the church. But one of the one of the chapters he has is on um, how countercultural the early church was in their view of the body, because they they essentially started um, all of these kind of charitable enterprises. One of them being uh, burial unions, and they would actually establish or dig out these catacombs, and they would bury. It was very unusual. They would bury the wealthy members of their congregation right alongside because oftentimes these beer associations were super expensive. It was like a month's wages to get into them and then half a day's wage on a monthly basis to stay in them. And if not, 
your body would be essentially thrown out into the street and eaten by wild animals. And Christians were one of the first to say, no, we don't, we don't want the poor to have to be exposed like that. And so what was unique is they would actually take the the rich and the poor, because they were often buried along class lines and they would bury them together in these catacombs. And they, so they've dug up a lot of these catacombs in places like, you know, Rome or different, you know, um, Carthage, different places. And they, they have these elaborate burial catacombs. And so, you know, I feel like you're just, you're kind of going back to, you know, well, the, the early truth. Christianity importance. This was an important thing. It was not a small thing. Uh, even though for us, it seems now like a small thing. It is so interesting what burial practices reveal about what we think about the body and what we think about other people's bodies, right? Um, here in our community, we have family cemeteries, but if you are poor and you don't have access to a family cemetery, um, cremation is often your only option. And it's not even like a philosophical thing. It's not like people are saying, well, I'd rather be cremated because that's just my choice. Right. It's like, that's the only thing you can afford. Mm -hmm. And there's a billboard in our community that advertises creation for a flat fee of $1,800 or something. I mean, this is, this is Mm -hmm. a major question um, within our working class community, whether you can access placing your body in the ground or whether it will go through the cremation furnace. Mm. And so I think that to me, you know, it's kind of quirky and my kids laugh at me because I do have a very long list and it is very um, specific and probably time consuming um, for what I expect to happen at my funeral. But I think it does reflect on how we think about our bodies. And a lot of times The point that a society gets to where you're just going to um, cremate the poor, but the rich can still choose to be buried, reveals a lot both about how your society is structured class-wise, but also how you view the bodies within your society. Mm. Yeah. So we don't typically, again, tend to think of bodies as a, as a vocation. Again, when we think of vocation, we tend to think of work for sure, maybe marriage, but certainly you don't hear a lot of people talking about, I mean, the books I have on my shelf, not a lot of books. I don't know of any actually that talk about the vocation of the body. Um, and yet we're, you know, clearly Paul writing in first Corinthians six talks a lot about, um, our life in the body. Um, and makes a big deal throughout the New Testament about the importance of our bodies in places like Romans six and Romans seven and Romans eight and other places. Um, why why is it so hard for people to think about their bodies as a vocation um, in this particular cultural moment? Well, you know, it's been my observation that one of the things that a body does is it limits us, right? Well, the way we're defining vocation is loving God and loving your neighbor through the particular details of your life, through the specifics. And another word for specifics is the limits of your particular life. And, you know, a body exists in a specific place and time. You can't be two places at once. You can't be in the past. You can't be in the future. You're in the present. And it kind of holds you um, in a moment that I think goes against our sense of self-creation. So, so in our society, we, when we think of vocation, when we think about who we are going to become, whether it's our jobs or our education paths or, you know, relationships, it's the sky's the limit. You can do anything you set your mind to. And I think that's fascinating how we actually say that we, we, we say your mind is what determines your reality. And it goes back as far as the kind of enlightenment, I think, therefore I am. 
the the sense of who we become and who we are and our vocations is really much, very much a cerebral kind of process, but our bodies really create a challenge to that, that you very quickly realize that even if you want to be something, your body may stop you from being that thing. And so then when you're wrestling with that, sometimes you just want to transcend that. You just want to believe in the myth that you can become whoever you think you are or whoever you want to be. And it's hard to surrender to the kind of providence that our bodies display. And, you know, like we talked about on Sunday, God chooses and creates our bodies for us and gives them to us. And we have to receive what he gives us limits and all. Like I am always going to be five, three, no matter how much I think I'd like to be taller, but I'm not because that's the, the, the limits of the body that have been placed that I have been given. So when we think about our vocation of the bodies, we're talking about being embodied souls. We're not just, we have a body, we are a body. Um, so there's this integrated kind of holistic perspective. And we're thinking about all kinds of different categories. We talked Sunday, I mean, Paul's specifically addressing sexuality as an illustration of that in first Corinthians six, but we're talking about our intellectual, you know, different capacities of the body. We're talking about intellectual capacity. We're talking about emotional capacity. We're talking about our memories, our imagination, um, our ethnicity, right? Like our, the, the melanin in our skin and our, our kind of racial identities uh, that are, are, you know, socially constructed in, in the world in which we live. Um, we're talking about our identity. Uh, I mean, there's so many different aspects of this vocation um, that we're called to live in the midst of these realities. And we have these kind of, I don't know, like sub identities almost that make up our, our larger identity that we have to kind of attend to um, if we're going to think in each one of those categories, if you want to call them that, although they're not exactly discrete, um, they each have kind of gifts that they bring us. Right. And they also have, to your point, limitations that we have to attend to as part of God's providence. And so how do we, how do we kind of think through that? I mean, I feel like this discussion, particularly of limitations is not something that we often think about. We, I feel like we're always trying to transcend those limitations, but what is that? What does that look like to kind of attend to those as we're discovering uh, this calling to our particular bodies? Yeah, I, I think one of the things we have to recognize is that limits feel constraining, but they're actually gifts to point us in the right direction that we should go. So they're, they're kind of guardrails too. They, they, they create the path that we're to walk. And if vocation means figuring out, discovering how we're supposed to love God, how we're supposed to love others and the particular details of our lives, those details that limit us also are, are really wonderful guides to us. And I think of, um, I think it was the artist Makoto Fujimara, who really talks about the need for limits, even within creative work, that if you have no limits, it's very hard to to start a project because you just have so many options. You can't even begin to think along what should this project be. But the minute you can find yourself to a certain size of paper or a certain medium, the minute you pick up a colored pencil versus a watercolor brush, you are beginning to limit down your choices, but you're also finding great clarity about what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. So when I think of the the limits of our body, I also think 
of these things as clarifying what we're called to do. So, I, and, and my husband, Nathan, and I talk about this and I'll, I joke with him and I'll be like, I am not the white male in this relationship. So there are certain things because of the structure of the society that we live in that you are responsible to do because you can do them. You have people see your body a certain way and we can't, you know, we can work for a more just society, but while we're working that direction, his body carries a certain um, authority and power within the world that mine doesn't. And so at that point, his vocation is clarified by his body that he's the one that needs to step up and advocate. He's the one that needs to use his God-given giftedness within his body to, to make a way for other people and he was telling me just this week how he was in the grocery store and the female cashier was having a horrible time with her machine. It was broken. And he stepped up and said, call your manager over. Manager comes over and he advocated for the female employee as the customer and as a, you know, a 40 year old man, he said, please do something about this. Fix this for your employee. Cause she's just trying to work and, can't do her job. So there's a sense in which our embodied lives also point us to the good work that we're supposed to do, the way we're supposed to love our neighbor. Mm. Yeah, that's so good. And when, when I think you're kind of signaling towards some of the the challenges of living in an em, embodied life uh, in this moment, when we think about the curse, uh, you know, that we're under in our bodies and some of the challenges that we're up against, um, right now, trying to be faithful to our vocations. What do you see as, um, some of the, some of the manifestations of the, the curse that we live under right now and some of the particular ways that we're tempted to, um, kind of use our bodies in ways that are not, um, in line with our vocation to love God and love other people. Well, you know, like we've already said, we want to reject the, what our bodies tell us. We, we don't want to understand the limits of them. And I think culturally, that is a really significant question, especially for um, those of us who, who believe that God is the creator, that God is sovereign over the universe, including our own bodies, that we are not self-made. So culturally speaking right now, the first thing we just, the first step we have to take is uh, recognizing that, that God is providential over the bodies we've been given and to embrace them and accept them and to honor them, um, to, to love them for all of their uh, limits and their strengths, to, to rejoice in God's uh, design and uh, choice in making us. But that doesn't mean that it's all easy. We live in a broken time and there is internal brokenness within our bodies that is just the feature of our bodies living under the curse whether it's aging or decay or disease or chronic illness there's also social and structural pain and brokenness that treat our bodies in a way and often take advantage of the weaknesses that we are carrying because of the curse. So, you know, even questions like it's, it's one thing for a body and a person to be dealing with the weight of chronic illness. It's another thing to live in a society that doesn't support them while they're dealing with that, that, that doesn't provide um, support and love and care and mechanisms 
to, to overcome that brokenness and instead says, well, if you can't keep up, we're, we're leaving you behind. We're all moving forward as a society and you are left to deal with the brokenness of your body alone. So I do think we have to recognize that there's, there's two things we often struggle with and the hurdles that we're facing there, there is intrinsic, just the brokenness that exists in our bodies because of the curse. But there's also the brokenness of living in communities that don't help us overcome the brokenness and maybe sometimes make that brokenness worse. Mm. So we're going to be tempted to um, maybe pay attention to one of those at the expense of the other, um, you know, maybe only be paying attention to how do we deal with these intrinsic desires, these uh, longings and uh you know, kind of internal desires that, you know, sometimes are not aligned with God's vision of flourishing in our bodies that are distorted or disordered by sin. Right. we're going to kind of pay attention to that and kind of hone in on that, um, at the expense of understanding how larger institutions and larger cultural realities kind of impinge on that, or we're going to be tempted to pay attention maybe to all the ways in which, you know, these social systems are pressing in on, uh, and, and even harming our bodies or not supporting us in our embodied vocation while not paying attention to the stewardship of our own desires and, uh, and kind of reordering our bodies, um, uh, to, to love God and to love other people. There's kind of both of those things happening that we have to, we have to pay attention to because both impact our ability to be faithful, right. And living out this vocation. Right. And, and I'm going to say at this moment in time, you're rare. It's going to be very rare that you're going to get a clear, um, you know, biblical understanding of your body from either the church or the secular world. And, mm. and I know that sounds, you know, I don't want to just bash the church or whatever, but, but we are the products of our time. And in this moment in history, this is a particular lost understanding that we have to be very intentional to recover and to think about well, because you're just not going to get the categories that you need to do to, to understand not only your body, but the brokenness and how to fight your own um, sinful tendencies within your body, but also has to live with the limitations of your body. You're just not going to get that from conversations as they exist right now. What you'll probably find more often is um, you're going to find affirmation for your sinful bodily tendencies. You're going to find kind of reinforcement. Yeah, go ahead and do that. Go ahead and actualize yourself in your body. Do whatever your body feels, whatever your passions dictate, whatever you want. You shouldn't think of this as a bad thing, you should just act on it. That's going to be a really reinforcing message that often comes from society. But that comes from not just a license, um, but a complete misunderstanding of what the body exists for and, and, and why it has to live out the call to love God and love neighbors. Um, like, if even if you think of sexuality, um, one of the things I've talked to my sons about a lot is that they cannot use their bodies to harm their neighbor. They cannot use their bodies in a way that is dangerous for another person, especially women. And that even though they're going to get messages of uh, free sex or just to do whatever they want, that when it comes down to it, marriage is going to be the way that they are faithfully using their bodies not to harm another person 
and to be fair with that other person rather than taking advantage of them through, you know, sex or something like that. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, this is such a huge weighty topic. I'm just thinking of our own congregation and the different ways that people are experiencing brokenness, you know, whether it's abuse, um, and, and being harmed by, uh, physical or sexual violence or whatever, verbal <coughs> abuse, emotional abuse. Uh, I think of people that are just living with deep, deep chronic illnesses and pain on a daily basis. That is so debilitating. Um, I think of people whose parents are walking through end of life issues where their bodies are beginning to break down dementia, Alzheimer's, um, you know, Lou Gehrig's, I mean, all kinds of things, um, that people are wrestling through in our community. And, you know, they're just, I think we're just asking like, you know, Paul, you know, what do we do with these bodies that are decaying, that are dying, that are breaking down or that are suffering under these limitations and these, um, sinful disorders. you know, one of the keys, I think that we talked about Sunday in in wrestling faithfully, this is, is really reclaiming um, the incarnation and the significance of Jesus's humanity for our humanity and seeing his vocation as a uh, pathway for our own vocation. Um, That isn't, I mean, that was a big deal. And again, in the early church, the first couple of centuries, they were, I mean, writing really, um, you know, huge treatises and uh, defenses of Jesus's humanity. And they felt like it was really important because as again, as, uh, some of them would say, what wasn't assumed wasn't redeemed, you know? Um, so it seems Im- important for them. And that Paul kind of builds a lot of his theology of the body off of that. Um, talk a little bit about how, um, looking into the, the humanity of Jesus rather than threatening his divinity actually, uh, complements it and also helps us understand and live out our own vocation in our bodies. You know, that, that, idea of coming to terms with the humanity of Jesus was probably one of the first pieces that helped me begin to think of my own body differently. And and you wouldn't necessarily expect that. Like, I think a lot of times when we're trying to recover a healthy sense of our bodies, a lot of the messages you'll get is, you know, just accept your body, your body's beautiful, just embrace it, you know, be proud of it. But, but that always falls flat for me. But if you come along and teach me that Jesus had a body, that he took on a body, he became physically human, immediately you have divine sanction on human bodies. But it wasn't just this idea in theory, like, okay, Jesus had a body. It was when I began to think about it, like when I used kind of a redeemed Christian imagination to think, oh, Jesus had to learn to walk. Like there was a time in his life as an infant that he crawled and he took his first step. Oh, Jesus had a stomach bug at some point in his life that he threw up. You know, he got sick in this way. He may even have had diarrhea. I mean, this is just horrible things for Mm -hmm. us to think about. We Mm -hmm. are so accustomed to a Jesus who is pristine, who is God undercover, right? Like he's this on this super secret spy mission. And we don't think about the reality of not just his crucified body, but his lived experience. Um, you know, as you brought out on Sunday, the fact that he he went through all of the human experiences in his physical body. And not only does that give a great deal of glory to our bodies and our experiences, but it also teaches us 
um, how to live through the brokenness, how to be faithful in the brokenness with the hope of resurrection. Because I think that's the other thing about the lived body of Christ that we don't always pay attention to. His resurrection is the certain hope of our bodies. If he identified with us, came into human flesh, was fully incarnated, experienced all these things that we experience in our body, he glorified our bodies, he died, and then that body came back to life. That is what we are clinging to as Christians. That is the hope we have, that the body of Christ is not just this nebulous, you know, term for the church that exists because Jesus is off in heaven and we have to be the physical presence of Jesus. It really is the body of Christ that was resurrected. That is the hope that our bodies are that important to God and will be resurrected and why it's really important that you need to know where you're going to be waiting for the resurrection to happen. <laughs> yeah. Quite frankly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and there's so many things we can learn just looking at, I mean, I love how the writers of the new Testament capture the development of Jesus's body, you know, I think of places where, um, you know, uh, we'll say, you know, like, a, um, you know, he grew in wisdom and in stature, that word is maturity, he grew in maturity before both God and men, um, you know, we can't catch Jesus sleeping and, and taking a nap, uh, because he's, he's tired. Um, so he's, he's modeling, just paying attention to his own limitations. Um, we see Jesus weeping in his body and expressing deep emotions. We see the conflicts that uh, Jesus goes through as he experiences sadness and maybe even depression. Some people would argue in Matthew 26, uh, this deep distress or anxiety in his spirit and the wrestling with, um, with God and, uh, and with himself in his body. I mean, we capture all these different scenes and it, I don't know, it's just, to me, it's so encouraging to think about um, our, our own limitations in that light, our own struggles, as Paul says in Romans seven, where we don't do the things that we want to do. Um, I don't know that that's just really resonant with me and kind of helps give me, we, we, again, we think of Jesus giving his body, which is true for, it, for us in salvation, you know, his, his body broken. So our bodies can be healed. Uh, and that's so important, but it's also important that we see that the pattern of his life is giving us a model for what it means to be fully human. And I think we don't, take that serious enough. And I don't know if it's because we're afraid of a works-based salvation. Um, and we're afraid of saying that Jesus was not only, um, uh, his sacrifice was not only like effective for our salvation, but the way he lived his life is a pattern for how we're to live a fully human life. Um, although we don't, we can't enter in and do everything he did. We're not dying for people's sins. We can't exactly heal and do all the things that he did with the same level of potency, but nevertheless, there's an echo in there for us and a, a pattern, uh, a paradigm for us to think about and consider as we wrestle with our own limitations and we wrestle with our own vocations and our bodies. I mean, like Jesus, Jesus was a minority in a, in a majority context. He ethnically was Jewish and that meant something, you know, he's male and that meant something. And I don't know, the, these things, I don't think we take them as seriously as we should as we think about our own vocations right now. Yeah, the incarnation is both deeply comforting. Um, it, it, it extends a lot of grace to us as we are wrestling with our own alienation from our bodies to recognize that the God of the universe came down into human flesh and honored it. So it's deeply comforting, but it's deeply aspirational too. 
as you're saying, like it is that call to say, this is how you can live out your vocation. This is how you can be in the world, in your physical body. And so it, it has both that comfort to it, I find, but also that kind of, um, I don't know, vision for something more beyond you just have to give into your base desires and that's all you can hope for. Mm. So we now as the church are, I guess, as we begin to wind this down, we are the body of Christ. I mean, Paul makes that clear in first Corinthians six, that we are connected to the body, not just, you know, kind of the physical body, but the, the, the church, as he goes on to talk about in first Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll look at here in a few weeks. Um, we are now carrying on the, the work of the body of Christ. We are the, the hands and feet as Teresa of Avila said, you know, there's no other, no other body, no other hands, no other feet, except for us. We are the body of Christ now in the world. How do we, you know, what are some ways that we can steward, um, our bodies and discover the calling that God has for our bodies as we think about the role of community? Cause we, this is one of those areas where I feel like there's so much confusion. As you said, there's so much disordered thinking, um, culturally around our bodies. We're so confused. We're so, um, there's so much distortion. How do we help each other with this vocation of, um, stewarding our bodies in community? How's, how's the church called to help each other here? Well, I think, um, one of the things that the church is called to do, and you alluded to this on Sunday, is to extend the healing ministry of Christ. So one of the things that Christ did in his body was to use his body to touch people, to heal them of their own um, bodily diseases and the brokenness within their body. Now, I'm, I'm not just talking in a, in a charismatic way, and I'm not talking about the good works of uh you know, investing in medical ministries, whether it's hospitals or, you know, medical mission trips. I'm talking about the kind of messages we send each other within the body of Christ, um, how we train each other to think about our bodies and how we can heal each other. So one of the things that's so significant about how we learn to think about our bodies is the, the messaging we receive. And, and I've seen this a lot in conversations between mothers and daughters, that, that the way a mother talks about her own, her own body is how a daughter is going to learn to think about her body. And so we're passing along these messages. And so within the body of Christ, one way that we can proactively extend the kind of healing work that Christ began in his body on this earth is to, to just speak and to say the right things to each other about our bodies, to, to care for our bodies and to honor them and to speak about them well. Um, and, and then to do practical things that care for each other is, it's as James said, you know, in James two fifteen, if, if a brother or sister lacks those things that they need for their body and you tell them to go in peace, be warmed and fed, and you don't do anything about that, you know, how, how do you have faith? So I think there is this kind of communal dimension that we must give attention to each other's bodies and create a culture and an atmosphere that both meets the needs of the body, but also teaches us how to think about our own bodies, um, both to care for them well, to walk out with each other, how we fight um, our sinful tendencies in our bodies, and ultimately just to remind each other of the hope um, of the coming resurrection for our bodies. Mm. Yeah, that's really good. I think um, we don't often think of that 
as one of the things that we're doing in the church, but in a sense, we're creating a safe space for our bodies to be reclaimed as sacred and important. Um, that, that the work that we're doing is not just soul work, uh, but it's embodied soul work. And in a, in a, in a kind of time when it does, we don't really trust people with our bodies. We don't feel safe in our bodies. We feel the threat of both state sponsored violence against bodies here in America, historically, um, against certain groups of people, as well as just our own interpersonal experiences in our families, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, where, I mean, I think of many times, uh, I was a smaller kid, five foot nine now, but you know, in the eighth grade, about four foot 11. And I remember just living with this constant sense of dread of, you know, physical violence, uh, it, you know, going to the bus stop, going to public school, massive school or fights all the time. It was, it was a real kind of thing that you lived with on a day-to-day basis. You just learned to be anxious. I feel for me to be anxious in my body and then not having any real guides to, um, think about how to deal with my body. This is not a conversation we had a lot in my family, um, a little bit more of a detached family system where everything's kind of up in our heads, you know, there was a loneliness in the body that you kind of felt and in coming into the church, I, I think that, um, you know, that was, it was not helped by like kind of a toxic masculinity, if you want to call it that in my, where it was just kind of like power up and use your physicality in, in kind of, uh, you know, tough, tough ways, you know, I guess that, so I think there's been for me, just a lot of shame and, now in this last season, really thinking back through, okay, if the body of Christ should be the safest place for us to explore a healthy approach to our bodies and, and our spirituality has to say something. I just read Eugene Peterson's biography and he said, if, if our spirituality doesn't say, as he was aging, he was dealing with prostate cancer and dementia. He said, if our spirituality doesn't say anything to my sphincter, I don't want to have anything to do with it. <laughs> and I just, that's so Eugene Peterson, but, but I think he's making an important point that it, this has to be the place where you learn to, to help each other care for our bodies. Well, a place where we learn to fight sin, uh, in our bodies. Well, a place like you said, where we learn to anticipate new bodies, to long for that together and to model what it's going to look like to live, uh, in resurrected spirit empowered bodies forever. Like we, we now have a foretaste of that in community. And it strikes me as a place where we don't always value that conversation as much as we should in, in our discipleship of one another. Absolutely. And the counterpart to what you're describing um, within the church of that kind of toxic masculinity is messaging that presents women's bodies as inherently dangerous, Mm -hmm. um, that just existing in a female form is a temptation or is a risk. And and I remember um, coming up, and I didn't realize this until I was older, but I remember growing and maturing into a mature female body, going from girlhood to womanhood, I always wore very baggy clothes because I had been taught that any kind of, um, you know, visible female body, any kind of expression of the fact that you, you had curves of any kind would be a threat or a risk. And so I think that we have to be aware of the kinds of histories we're bringing into community with each other, um, that there are deep wounds, not just from, um, the society around us, but from the, the religious communities that we have grown up in and to be able to create a culture and to create like like you said a safe place not just for our vulnerability with our spirits or be able to um 
share things that are happening for us emotionally or spiritually, but that our bodies would be safe and that we mm. would know as brothers and sisters, we are safe with each other, that children coming up would only ever know goodness and embrace and love um, from the adults around them. Yeah. And also to be sensitive with the kind of um, challenges and brokenness that we bring in and um, be aware of that. You know, that's just the healing ministry of Christ. And I want to encourage you, you know, we've done a lot of work in this area over the past couple of years. If you're listening to this podcast in this area, um, it, both with prayer resources, you know, there's a long history in the church of um, embodied prayer and different prayer forms that uh, acknowledge the importance of the body, our breathing, um, body scans, things like that, that are not new age, they're Christian practices, meditation, um, things like that. But also in the area of story work, you know, I just want to encourage you that if that's you and you are, you do have a story of harm with your body, specifically as it relates to the church, like a good place to start is exploring your story and the messages that you receive and your lived experience really matters. And that's a good place to start as you show up at communities, learning how to tell your story um, and sharing that with other people where that story can be held and redeemed over time as you consider um, Christ's redemptive work in your life. And so we'd love to help you do that. We'd love to help you explore that. And, um, I know that can be a really scary, vulnerable thing. And so if that's you, and maybe you're wrestling with that or wrestling with chronic health issues or anything, we'd love to come alongside you and, and help you, um, find the healing ministry of Christ in this body. And so, Hannah, would you close this again, just in prayer as we, uh, as we think about all the brokenness and all the possibilities of redemption, and the longings that we have, um, would you pray over our community as we seek to live faithfully our vocation to love God and love others with our bodies? Absolutely. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you and praise you for your creative design of our bodies. We see your wisdom in making us physical and spiritual that you have taken the dust of the earth and breathed into us your spirit we thank you for the body of christ both the way he lived out um, his calling and his vocation to be human how he healed those bodies that were broken around him how he sacrificed and loved you and loved others through his body and how you raised him up Lord, help us as we live out our vocations in our bodies to believe what you say about them, that they are good and wonderfully made. Help us to live into our callings, um, to use them to love you and to love others. And teach us how to look for the resurrection and the life in the world to come. Help our eyes to be set on that hope and give us the confidence and um, the faith we need to be looking for that day. And in Christ's name we pray, amen.